Well, I invite you to open your Bibles uh, with me this morning to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we'll take a, a week break out of the book of Acts and we'll kind of look at a, a New Year's theme. I think that'll be appropriate as we start a new year in uh, 2019. Matthew chapter 7. I'd like to read for you verses 24 through 27. And this is at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, which the Lord Jesus was His very first major sermon that He gave to His disciples. So Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 24. Since I'm not reading just the words of man, but the inspired Word of God, I encourage you to give careful attention to the reading of God's holy word. Verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall. For it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The wind fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. May God bless the reading of His Word. Well, these final verses conclude one of the most powerful sermons our Lord ever preached. It's all inspired by God. It all comes from the Son of God. But the Sermon on the Mount is a very choice and blessed sermon. The overall theme of what Jesus is getting at in the Sermon on the Mount is the essence of the genuine righteousness that's involved in true discipleship. There's a lot of hypocrisy. There's a lot of uh, false living, religious experiences out there. And Jesus is laying out the standard of what true righteousness looks like. How it thinks, how it acts, how it responds to worry, how it speaks, how it prays, what kind of goals it does it have in life, and how it is different from worldly religion. But the great climax of the sermon is a high note that presents the key element of how we grow in righteousness that makes one a, a genuine disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's all based really on one's relationship to Jesus' words, to the Bible, to Scripture, and how we respond to the things that Jesus taught will determine the quality of our life and ultimately, the state of being blessed or being cursed. To drive this principle home to our hearts, Jesus tells a, a final story about two men who are builders. There's a wise builder and there's a foolish builder. They both build houses. Both homes are completed and both homes will be tested by a massive destructive storm which brings the torrents of rain and floodwaters and winds that, that will crash against the two houses. 
In the aftermath, only one house will stand. The other house will be totally annihilated and destroyed. It will collapse under the assault of the storm. And it cannot withstand the attack of the rain, the winds, and the flooding. It will fall into a ruin, a pile of rubble on the ground. So while Jesus is setting forth in these two builders with these two houses, both houses being tested by the storm, is that these are two different lifestyles. These are two different ways of living your life. And you either choose the wise path or you choose the path of folly. One ends in blessing. The other ends in destruction. But these are the choices that He lays before his readers, and those who hear him preach this sermon. The storm that he speaks of could be applied in many different ways. Uh, We all encounter all kinds of storms in life, don't we? Uh, Sometimes we have health storms that blow the disease and the cancers and and the difficulties into our life. Sometimes we have financial storms that blow their way in and undermine our ability to earn a living. But there are other kinds of storms as well. And one of the fiercest storms attacking the church today, I would refer to as the storm of culture. The cultural storm that attacks and blows against all of us. That's kind of the the main emphasis I want to, to look at as we work through this sermon together this morning. Uh, we could say at the outset that culture is, is always changing. Uh, since I was a kid, there's been some incredible changes in culture. Some of them have been very, very good, and some of them have been very, very bad. But culture is always changing. Uh, since I've been a kid, we've certainly, our own culture here in America has certainly made leaps and bounds towards globalism, where everything used to be American made. Now you go to Walmart or wherever you go, everything's made in China, it seems like today. Uh, And I'm all for fair competition and trade is good. But the globalism ultimately encompasses like the United Nations and their desire for a one world government. And, And this is not good. This is like trying to rebuild again the Tower of Babel. And uh, this is where nations will lose their sovereignty and ultimately give allegiance to the one world uh, government. And that is not good. We have environmentalism. And I believe it's important that we all be good stewards of the earth that God has made. But going green determines now the kind of light bulbs you use in your house. The kind of shopping bags you put your groceries in. Even the kinds of cars that we drive. So that recycling can almost become, with some, a new religion of sorts. And then you have the distorted science of man-made climate change. Where now we're being threatened that we need to give more control and power to the government. Because we are ruining the earth by the CO2 emissions. Which I think is based on a lot of uh, deceptive false science, in my opinion. And the opinion of many others. But that's certainly been a great cultural change. How about communications? When I was a kid, is the rotary dial telephone. You know, that it took you about five minutes to dial a number as you waited for the little dial to spin back to, to its original starting place. And now we have the ever-present uh, cell phones. And we have 
emails and we have Twitter and social media. And it's just amazing how that culture has changed, particularly young people and really all of us to, to a large degree. Uh, you go out to a restaurant and you see people sitting at a table and they're not, they're not talking anymore. They've kind of lost their, their skills of communication. Everybody's on their cell phone. And it's like uh, it, it controls the way we communicate now. But we also have, of course, the watchful eye Big Brother that's invaded all this technology so that we're losing our privacy with Google and Facebook censoring political media, particularly conservative political media. It's all out there. Technology, communications, some of it great, some of it not so great. Then you have immigration. We used to understand the sovereignty of a nation and its right to protect its borders, but now we're, there's this movement of pushing for open borders and citizenship really doesn't matter anymore. And this is certainly a cultural move that we're dealing with. With education, it's been lost for a good period of time now. We've taken the Bible out of school. We take prayer out of school. We've taken the Ten Commandments out of school. So now our government controlled education system is teaching secular values and we're minimizing uh, things like science and math for more just social skills and this is a great cultural change that's impacted not only our society but the church as well government we were founded as a constitutional republic and now we're electing more and more socialists to our government that will have a greater impact on the direction our nation goes But some of the bigger issues are like race and gender and religious issues. Now, all all racism is bad. The Bible would, would certainly agree with that. But people like me already have three strikes against us. Number one, I'm white. That's bad. I'm a male. That's worse. And I'm a Christian, which means that I'm intolerable to many in the politically correct culture of our day. I'm kind of living and other, you other men out there, you white men, we're kind of blamed for all the evils of the world today, it seems like. But that's a great cultural shift and change. But how about the moral values that culture has just turned upside down today? The sexual revolution. It's been going on, you know, since the 60s. But to throw out marriage and live in immorality because there's, there's no God, there's no judgment, and we all ought to be able to, to live the way we want to live. The feminist movement keeps pushing the right for a woman to kill the human life within her womb. And that's been around since the 50s, but uh, they keep pushing that as, as reproductive rights. And they overlooked that that's a little human, that's a little human baby in the womb that we have the right, they want the right to now kill. And again, culture has changed in many sad ways. Pornography is a runaway train. You can access it any place and any time. It's like a cancer that will destroy your life. Men, listen up. Homosexuality used to be looked down upon when I was a kid. Legally a crime. But now we've legislated same-sex marriage. And then there's a gender confusion. You can choose your gender three times a day if you want to. Wake up as a man, eat lunch as a woman, and go to sleep as a man again. 
I mean, it's all this confusion of the cultural winds like a mighty tsunami that's just blowing against our country and, and against the church. So that we either choose to live by God's values or you create your own. And the sky's the limit of the perversions that we can invent. The point is, the point that Jesus is making is that in light of this storm that's coming upon everybody, you need a firm foundation. Because the cultural changes are hitting us all like a great storm with rain and wind and floodwaters. And if we are not grounded, if our life is not grounded upon something solid, then our building, our home, will not last. I speak primarily to young people here this morning. And of course, it encompasses all of us, old or young. We're all susceptible to the storms of culture. But particularly our young people will be swept away by the tsunami of the currents of our culture if you do not build your life upon a solid, fixed, firm foundation. And that's a point that Christ makes in this little story. Well, let's begin by looking at the first builder in verse 24 and 25. Jesus says in verse 34, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, building the house is an analogy that Jesus uses for building your life. You know, when you build a house... It, uh, it's a good picture for just building a life in general, but a house is where we live. A house is where we find shelter in the midst of the storm. A house is where we store our valuables, where our family lives. It reflects our personalities as we decorate it on the inside and the outside, the colors we paint, so that a house in many ways is a reflection of who we are. So Jesus is using building a house to really as an analogy of someone's building their life. Of course, you start with a foundation and then you build upon it. And by building our life, it reflects the value systems that we adopt, our attitudes toward God, towards one another, even towards ourselves. Uh, Building our house involves a the value that we put on our possessions, whether we make them an idol or not, or understand them as a gift from God. Building our life determines uh, what we value and what you hang on your walls in your bedroom. That, that reflects your values. Uh, the music you listen to, the programs you watch, the character of the friends that you hang around with. All of this is you're building your life and it's reflecting the values We're building our house uh, also includes what we do when no one else is watching us. In the privacy of our own thoughts, when no one else is there, what we do, what we watch, what we see, all of that, we're building a house. We're building a life. And by the way, you're building a, a life. You're building a house, as am I. Every young person, you're building a life. Everything that you do is contributing to building that life, that house in which you live. And the quality of the house 
depends first and foremost on the quality of the foundation and then on the materials that you use to build your house with. Paul made reference to the materials. He said, some build on the foundation of Christ with gold, silver, and precious stones, and others build with wood, hay, and straw. But each man's, will become, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, for the fire will test the quality of each man's work. See, there's a judgment to come. And the quality of our house is determined by the quality of the materials that we use to build our, our house with. But Jesus' emphasis is primarily on the foundation. So that we're building our house every day. Every day you add to your house that you're building, your life that you're building. But the foundation is absolutely fundamental. It's absolutely crucial. And Jesus is concerned in His little story with the nature of the foundation that these two builders choose. There's basically only two options that he gives. One is you build your life on the rock and the rock is listening to and acting upon the Word of Christ or Scripture in general or everything else is sand. So you're either building your life on the rock of Jesus' words, obedience to Jesus' words, Or you're building it on the sand. Those are really the only two options that we have. Now the character of the wise man who builds his house on the rock. Notice in verse 24, there's two key elements. Number one, he hears these words of mine. He hears the words of Christ. This is someone who's committed to reading the Scripture reading the Gospels, but we can extrapolate the entirety of Scripture from this. But you'll never be a wise builder if you do not regularly read or hear the Word of God. As C.H. Spurgeon said, the Bible, the whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible is the religion of Christ's church. If you want to be a wise builder, if you want to build your life on the rock that can withstand the torrents and the tsunami of the culture in which we live, then you must be in the Scriptures. You must be in the Word of God. Someone once said, when the Bible is put on the shelf, the church will surely follow it. We will be put on the shelf. We'll have no witness for Christ, no witness for the Gospel. We'll not make a difference. If we put the Bible on the shelf, we'll be put on the shelf. But hearing the Word of God is only the first aspect of the wise man who builds his house on a rock. The second is he acts upon it. In other words, what he reads, what he studies, what he learns transforms him. It affects him. It changes him. So that he is obedient and acts upon what he reads and what he learns. In Luke 11, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hear the Word of God and observe it. Same thing here. For those who hear My words and acts upon them, that is the one who builds their life upon the rock. Obedience is one of the marks of true faith. And to hear the Word of God and believe it will cause you to also act upon it 
and desire to live in obedience to it. The one uh, foundation that Jesus is talking about, therefore, is obedience to His Word, obedience to His teachings. That is the solid, fixed, immovable foundation, unlike any man-made foundation which can crack or shift or buckle. And what Jesus is commending to us in order to build our house on the rock that can stand firm in the midst of all these cultural winds and rains and storms that will blow against the church is that we not only hear the Word of God, but we act upon it. We do it. As a great hymn, how firm a foundation you saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. What more can He say than to you He has said? To you who for refuge to Jesus have fled. So those who come to know Jesus as a a sinner who comes to the Savior, who receives a free gift of salvation, we must build our life upon the rock. Which means we need to be listening and reading the Word of God and we need to be responding to it in obedience. Because those who read the Word of God and respond to it will be transformed. We need to have the attitude of Psalm 119, verse 128, which says, Therefore I esteem right all your precepts concerning everything, and I hate every false way. So what Jesus is talking about is someone who treasures up the Word of God, who delights in it, who reads it and listens to it, but He does more than that. He's responding. He's desiring to keep it and act upon it and obey it. That's the key. That's what makes someone build their house upon the rock. So that the Word will affect our values. What we consider to be right and wrong. Not the values of the world, but the values of the Word become authoritative for us. So that Scripture becomes our sole authority in matters of faith and practice. Now, those who do that, The consequences are they build their life upon the rock. And then in verse 25, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Now notice that this life gets blasted by the storm. Uh, There's no way that we are insulated from the, the blasts of the culture around us, or, or trials or troubles in general. No, they, this life will be blasted by the storm, just like every other life will be. But the great difference is that God uses these for our good. He uses them to test us so that this particular man, this wise man who builds his house on the rock, will have a great mighty storm come blasting against him. All the pressures that come with, with, the, with the temptation to conform to the culture will come blasting against Him. Your friends who enjoy all this kind of secular stuff or values or lifestyles or things that they desire and crave after, that influence, that temptation will come blasting against your life. And you'll either give in to it or you will stand firm against it. Your house will either be destroyed by it, or you will stand in the midst of that assault. 
And in this case, the one who builds his life upon Scripture, not only just hearing it, but acting upon it, builds his house upon the rock. And when the storms come against them, they do not fall. For it's founded on the rock. Now I may lose some shingles. We usually do. A little siding might be blown off. Maybe at times even worse. But the house will stand. It will persevere. It will overcome. They may need some great repairs, but the structure is still sound. And this is a picture of the life of the believer who by God's grace seeks to order his life by the Word of God. Not perfectly. We're all still sinners. No one's perfect in this. But we seek the grace of God and do the best we can to live according to the Word of God. And it's by that grace by the wisdom of the Word of God in our minds, affecting the way we think and act and speak, is what protects us and enables us to weather the cultural storm around us. For you young people, think of Daniel and his three friends in Babylon. They had been captured by the Babylonians. They had been transported into an alien culture. A culture that they did not understand. A culture that, that they did not, uh, uh, they were not grown up with. Something that, that was quite foreign to all their understandings. And because they were being trained to serve in the court of the king, they were commanded to eat the king's choice food. A lot of this food was off the menu for a good religious Jew. But Daniel and his three friends made the commitment that they would not give way to the cultural pressure around them when all the other young men were eating that food, all the other young men were drinking all that stuff, all the other young men were being absorbed and, 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 and taken up into the culture of the Babylonians, but they would not. And they made a commitment that they would stand firm and that they would eat only vegetables and water for biblical reasons so that they obeyed God and they stood firm against the cultural storm and they did not fall. And later, the three young men, after Nebuchadnezzar built that golden statue and made everybody bow down to it. And if you did not bow down to that statue, what would happen to you? You'd be thrown in the fiery furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they weighed the cost. You either conform to the culture, you adopt the religion of all these other people around you, and you bow down and you worship Nebuchadnezzar the king, and you bow down to his golden statue. But they made a commitment. They had built their life upon the rock. They knew what the Word of God said. They acted upon what the Word of God said, and they would not bow down. And they were thrown into the fiery furnace. But Christ in a manifestation of His pre-incarnate glory appeared in the fire with them and rescued them so that they came out and their hair was not singed. There wasn't even the smell of smoke on their garments because they had built their house upon the rock. Young people, you will be assaulted as will the older crowd as well. But you'll be assaulted by all the religious idols, all the pagan values of our day. And you're going to have to decide, will you stand or will you give in? Will you go with the flow because it's popular? Because all your peers, that's what they say, that's what they delight in, that's what's cool. That's what will make you more friends. 
Or you would say, no, I will not live by the cultural values of the day which are changing every year or so. I will stand according to the values that are eternal, that are valued, that, that God holds. I will stand on those. I will live by those. Paul warns us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, the world tells us, well, the Bible, you know, it's obsolete. It's ancient. It's no good. We just sang a a great song about those ancient words that are still true. See, the Bible never really becomes obsolete because it's the living, inspired Word of God. It's as living for us today as it was back then. It's as inspired and inerrant today as it was back then. The Bible never becomes obsolete because it it reflects and gives to us God's eternal moral values and standards which do not change. Now the values and the morality of our culture change all the time. But people want to say, well, the Bible is obsolete. You're a fool if you live by it. Because they don't want any absolutes. They don't want a God telling them that they're wrong. That they're a sinner. That they need to repent. And they don't understand that the good news of the free offer of salvation and forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. They just want to live the way they want to live. They want freedom to live and do as they please. But the one who builds his life upon the rock says forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Psalm 119. The authority of the Bible surpasses all other authorities. It gives us God's verdict on every matter it addresses. Proverbs 13, verse 13 says, one who despises the word will be in debt to it. But the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded. So he knows the Word of God. He who lives according to the Word of God and orders his life and acts upon God's wisdom and truth will not be destroyed by the corrupt values of the culture around us. It will not be conformed to the world. It will be different. It will come out from amongst them and be different because it lives by a different set of standards. And for the young people, that's the great tsunami that's washing in your direction. It's the idea that to to be happy or to be popular, you've got to give in and act like and think like and listen to and read and be like all of the world around you. Well, that's described as building your house upon the sand. Let's look at that builder. Starting in verse 26. "Whoever Whoever who hears these words of mine and does not act on them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Notice, he starts out just like the wise man. He hears the words of Christ. So far, so good. Uh, This man reads his Bible. This man goes to church, or this young person goes to church regularly. This person knows the Bible to a certain degree. 
And no doubt, he could probably explain certain biblical truths to other people. They hear the Word of Christ. Just like the wise man. There are people who are in church. And they listen. And they hear. And they read their Bible on occasion. They're hearing good sermons. And they can even appreciate good sermons when they hear one. And they're able to converse on certain religious things. But that's where the comparison ends. Because of what we're told next in verse 26, they just don't act on it. They hear it. They know it. But they don't act on it. And this is their major defect. They hear the Word. They may even memorize the Word. But they don't feed their soul with the Word. They're not changed by it. Their thinking doesn't change, so they adopt the values of the world. Their speech doesn't change. So once they get out among their lost friends, they pick up the language habits of their lost friends. They involve themselves in the very values of the world around them. Because though they know better, they know the Word, but they do not act upon it. As James says, Prove yourselves to be doers of the Word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. And this is the great deception. Because they come to church, because they go to Sunday school, because they listen to the Bible taught, they think, well, I'm a good Christian. I know right from wrong, I'm a good person. I'm safe. God approves of me. But you see, they've deceived themselves. Because there's no obedience. And true faith that can save the sinner results in obedience. This person learns to... He he reads the Bible to learn, but he doesn't read to live. He reads the Bible out of curiosity. I'm interested to know what the Bible says, but he doesn't read the Bible out of devotion. His knowledge of the Bible makes him think he's religious, but it has no real impact on the way he lives his life on a daily basis. He's like a chameleon. When he's around Christian people, he acts like a Christian. He talks like a Christian. When he's around his lost friends, he, he thinks like a lost person. He talks like a lost person. He's a chameleon. There's no stability in their life because they haven't made that commitment to follow Christ. They haven't made their commitment to want to know the Word of God and want to be changed and transformed by the Word of God. So his life is tossed here and there Her life is tossed here and there by every wave and wind of popular cultural values that are always changing and there's no stability in the life. Jesus says that's building your your life on the sand. It ignores God's eternal truths and embraces the fleeting, passing values of today. These values are often in direct opposition to God's values. But this foolish builder doesn't really care. He chooses the world's values over God's values. And he doesn't realize the danger that he's in. He doesn't realize the foolishness that he's in. He takes up the rattlesnake. Tries to make a pet out of it. Ends up getting bit with fangs full of venom in the end. Without the firm foundation that comes from hearing and acting upon the Word of God, our lives will not survive the storm. We'll be quickly immersed in the culture. We'll be flooded by the culture. 
will be conformed to the world so we look like the world, we dress like the world, we, we, we talk like the world, we, we clothe ourselves and think and speak like the world so that we begin to embrace the values of the world. Immorality? Yeah, sure, that's okay. Homosexuality? Everybody to their own thing. Transvestite? Sure, whatever turns you on, do it. They're embracing the values of the world, not the values of God. The consequences is that they have a storm blowing on their life in verse 27. The rain falls upon them too. The floodwaters come against their life. The winds blow and slam against their house. And yet it falls. It collapses in a pile of rubble. Their only resources, you see, are man-made. They're inventions of the unbelieving mind which thinks it's wisdom to live the way they have chosen to live when in reality it's fallen. They let down their sails and let the the current cultural values just sweep them along wherever it takes them. There's no anchor dragging them or slowing them. There's no resistance. They They just go with the winds of the culture. And without them even knowing it, their their life is being set up for a great and mighty fall. So that whatever is popular in pop culture, that's what they do. That's what they believe. But great was their fall. Reminds me in the movie, The Patriot. I've only seen that movie a few times. But it opens with Benjamin Martin, the main character in his workshop, trying to make a wooden rocking chair while his daughter's looking on. He puts the final touches on it, carefully sets it on the floor. He gingerly sits in it and starts to rock slowly. And it's going to support him. It's a success. And then it just cracks and breaks and crumbles and falls to the floor. And angry, picks it up and throws it in a great big pile of other broken chairs. That's the, that's the example of a man who builds his life upon his sand. Ultimately, it doesn't prosper him. Ultimately, his life will collapse. He will crash to the floor. It's an ultimate failure because as a fool, he has built his life upon the passing, temporary, fluctuating cultural values of the day. Not the eternal values of God's Word. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of a tsunami. I've gone on YouTube and uh, watched one, a number of them. It's devastating. The camera is pointing out to the ocean. You see this, this band of, of high water, 30 or 40 feet tall. And it's slowly making its way to the shore. You hear people crying out. You hear them pointing out. You hear them beginning to run. And that big tsunami wave begins to slowly move closer and closer and closer to the shore until finally it hits. The devastation is massive. Ships and boats that were out at sea are now being rolled over and swept up on the land. All buildings, all cars are now picked up by the floodwaters and just cast inland. People are drowned. Homes are destroyed. Buildings, no matter how strong they are, just collapse and they're actually picked up and roofs fall off and and walls explode outwards. There's a complete decimation so that after the floodwaters recede, it looks like a, a... An atomic bomb blew up in that area. And this is what the life is of those 
who are satisfied with the superficial religion. Yeah, I'll go to church. Yeah, I'll go to Sunday school. Yeah, I'll hear what they have to say. But my own values are going to be different. And they are a fool building their house upon the sand. And the tidal wave will eventually sweep them all away. I understand there's an end time storm coming as well. Not only will they be impacted and affected by the cultural storms, which many times they won't even recognize as anything that's destructive. They just embrace it all and they think this is great. But in the eyes of God, they are being destroyed and torn down. But ultimately, there is a day of judgment that is coming too. A greater storm that will test every life as well. And that is based upon whether you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and whether or not you show forth the evidence that your faith is genuine by striving to live a life that honors Him in obedience to His Word. There's only one remedy for escaping that destruction. And that is to hear the Gospel. To hear the Word of God as a sinner. To call upon Jesus Christ and Him alone to save you and forgive you from your sins. And then to set your path to seek to live by God's Word. That's what true saving faith does. Noah did not survive the flood in his day just by hearing God warning him of the coming judgment. No, he acted upon it. And for 120 years, he built this massive ark which saved him and his family and two of all kinds of animals. But it was his hearing and acting upon God's Word that saved Noah in the day of the flood that came upon his life as well. You have a choice this morning. You can build your life on the rock or you can build it on the sand. If you build it on the sand, that life will be destroyed. Ultimately, by the culture in which we live and finally being cast into hell because you will have to pay for every sin that you've ever committed. But the wise man who by the grace of God sees that they're a sinner and knows that that's what I deserve and they turn from their sin and they trust in Christ alone. The good news is Christ will forgive you of all of your sins. That Christ will will save you and give you the free gift of everlasting life if you but turn from your sin and believe in Him and trust in Him that He died on the cross as the God-man who alone could take all of our sins and suffer in our place and bear the penalty that I deserve in hell that He bore for me. And you trust Him to save you from your sins and receive Him as your Lord and your Savior. That's the kind of faith that will make a wise man build his house upon the rock. So in conclusion, I think what Jesus is telling us There's only two options here. But be wise. Build your life upon the rock. Commit yourself to the Word of God. It's a sword of the Spirit to help you disarm the sneakery of the the devil. It's a means of growing your faith. The Word of God is a key to holy life. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. Your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Read the word of God. If you want to be wise, read the word of God. The testimonies of God are our counselors. They revive us in times of discouragement. They're a guide to us, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. They're sweeter than honey to our taste. And they're better to you than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Read the word of God. Commit yourself 
For those who love the law of God have great peace and nothing will cause them to stumble. So that whatever keeps you from the Bible is your enemy. Make a commitment. Read the Word of God regularly. But do more than just read it. Seek to be changed and transformed by it. Every Christian will be blasted by the winds and waves of our culture. And we must prepare ourselves. And the only way to have the house stand is to hear the Word of God and to act upon it. The Word wants to clone us after its own image. And if it succeeds, then we will share in the final judgment to come. Flee that judgment. Flee to Jesus Christ. For He alone can save you and give you the grace to be a wise builder who builds his house upon the rock. And then when the rain comes and the flood waters wash upon you and the winds blow and slam against your life, you will not fall for you've been founded upon the rock of Jesus Christ. Well, it's our great privilege to conclude our thoughts on this sermon of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount by going back to the symbols that remind us of the source of our salvation. And that is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, This is the Lord's Supper. It's not the Supper of Northwest Bible Church. So we invite any true believer here this morning uh, to examine your heart, to confess any sin, and to freely partake, remembering Jesus and all that He suffered to save us from our sins. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, we ask you to let the elements pass you by. To think about what Jesus taught about the wise builder and the foolish builder. And what kind of a builder are you? Will you build your life upon Jesus Christ, upon His Word, upon obedience to Him? Or are you building your life upon the sinking sands of the culture and the values of the world? Turn from that. Repent of your sin. Trust in Jesus. And He will forgive you and wash you and cleanse you and help you to build your life upon the rock. As we remember our Lord's sufferings on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, we use unleavened bread because it's, we feel like the best symbol for the sinlessness of Christ. Plus our Lord used unleavened bread when He was in the Passover meal. And we break the bread as an audible Reminder of the crushing and the brutality of the crucifixion and the flogging and the nails being pounded in our Lord's hands and feet as He was nailed to the cross to be the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, who alone can take away our sins. If the ushers would uh, please come forward at this time. We will pass the bread. And Jesus asks us to remember Him to reflect upon your sin with a joyful heart to to thank God for the forgiveness and the salvation that we have through Him. And just to bless Him and praise Him for all that He's done in suffering to save us from the hell that we deserve. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank You, Lord, for this opportunity to come and just reflect upon Jesus Christ 
to think about His crucifixion, His love for sinners just like us, His willingness to save whoever calls upon Him. And that as we remember, the price that He paid was a, was a horrendous, painful price of being crucified and put to death and bearing the weight of not only the temporal afflictions of our sin, but the eternal punishment for our sin as well. And yet out of great love for sinners, He came to do that for us. And so we want to thank You and praise You for Jesus and His great love and His great atoning death. So Lord, we give You praise in Your Son's name. Amen.